0: So who is your favorite team? Maybe you're a pro person. You like the pros. Maybe you like college a little better. Maybe, maybe you're a high school person. Maybe you have your favorite team's jersey. Maybe you got the home jersey. Maybe you got the away jersey. Maybe you got the throwback jersey. Maybe you just went and bought in new jersey because, you know, season's coming up. And, and maybe you're still wearing that jersey that your parents got you in sixth grade. If you're that person, in the name of all that's decent, will you please stop squeezing yourself into that jersey from sixth grade? Just, just go buy a new one. Yes, you will have to put a second mortgage on your house. Authentic jerseys today are not cheap. They're they're going to be a lot of money, but if you will do that and get rid of the old 6th grade one, you'll be doing a huge act of service to the community. So look out for us with your jersey. A lot of people wear jerseys. Well, they wear those jerseys because they want to identify with their team. If I come across a guy who is probably on the wall of fame at Bubba Ray's Catfish Buffet and probably on the wall of fame... At Betty Sue's pecan pie shop, and I see him wearing a number 12 Tom Brady jersey. I'm not going to run over to him with a Sharpie and say, Hey, Tom, can I have your autograph? Now, actually, I might do that just for fun, you know, just just calling people that randomly. No, I'm going to know that he's wearing that jersey because he likes the Patriots, because he cheers for the Patriots, because he likes that particular team. Now, you may be somebody that you don't like sports. You're not into sports at all. But you still know what it means to identify. You might have a collection of Harley-Davidson vests. Or maybe you've got a, a charm bracelet that has little charms of all the different hobbies that you have in life. Maybe you're the person that has the sticker on your back windshield for that favorite vacation spot that you just love to go to. And you want people to know that's where you go. Or maybe you've got a lanyard hanging from the rearview mirror of your car that says Barry Manilow Fan Club. Yeah, we, we know who you are. See, all of us, we know what it means to identify. We know what it means to identify with a team. We know what it means to identify with a person, with an idea, with a place. We know how to identify. So here's the question. How would people know that you identify with Jesus? How would people know that you're connected in a committed, ongoing, devoted relationship with the Son of the one true Most High God? How would people identify you with Jesus? Well, the first church had a very interesting and important way of identifying with Jesus. It did not require that you put a second mortgage on your camel to go buy a Team Jesus jersey. That wasn't necessary. In fact, what they did, and this way of identifying, it was pretty simple, it was pretty uncluttered, and it was pretty ordinary. There's nothing fantastic about it, except that it connected them to Jesus. So what is this mode of identification? Well, listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Dr. Luke writes, Day by day continuing with one mind in the temple. The first church went to church. Church attendance, being involved in the local church, was the most significant way that they could identify themselves with Jesus. Now, of course, I laugh that I'm preaching a sermon on church attendance on Labor Day weekend. So let me go ahead and say, fantastic job to all of you who are here. And for those who are streaming, we still love you and everything is great and fine because this sermon was planned long before Labor Day. So I'm not just targeting it for a holiday weekend. But the first church, they, they went to church. They were, they were committed to the local body of believers, they were committed to going and worshiping God. And how often did they do that? Well, Luke says they went day by day. <laughs> now you may be thinking, hey, easy fireball. If you think I'm coming up to this church every day, you're crazy. Uh uh-uh. uh. That ain't going to happen. Well, it's not necessarily about being at the church every single day, but I will say that there is plenty of ministry that goes on connected to Holland Avenue outside of just Sunday morning. Now, to understand this notion of them meeting day by day in the temple, we have to understand that the temple was different than the sanctuary. You see, the temple was a much different area. It was divided up, and you would walk kind of in and go deeper into the temple area. The, the first area was kind of a, a give-all. Anybody could go in that area. And you might find a, a lot of the sick and a lot of the poor in that first area of the temple looking for help. The second area was a lot bigger. It was a huge space. It was almost like if you put two football fields side by side, just a, a gigantic space. And, and there was all kind of things that happened in that space. There was teaching and there was fellowship and and there was worship. There were activities. There were all kinds of things that happened in this big space in the second part. And then the next part was where they had the sacrifices. And that part is a little more exclusive. And then the next part, well, those parts were just for the church leaders. They were the only ones that could go into that part. In fact, so exclusive were those inside areas of the temple that not even Jesus was someone who went there. So the first church, when they went to the temple, it was different than us coming to the sanctuary. See, it was more like a a food court at a mall almost. It was was more like a student center at a college. It was a a big, huge area, and there were lots of people there, and there were lots of things going on. It was different than us just coming into this room, or even for a modern church, going into a, a worship center. But it wasn't that different. You see, one of the things that they were doing was they were going to worship God. See, the temple was the place where they connected with the spiritual things of life. And so they kept going to the temple, but things were kicked up a notch now. You see, Jesus had been arrested. And Jesus had been crucified. But Jesus also rose from the grave. See, as they went to the early church, they were going because they believed that this person, Jesus, was truly their Redeemer and Savior. They weren't going to the temple because they thought Jesus was just a, a really good, nice teacher. They were going to the temple because they were convinced that Jesus died and that God raised Him from the dead, and His resurrection was proof and evidence that He really was the Son of God. Their temple worship was not just going to church. And because they were worshiping Jesus at the temple, it didn't cross their mind that they should abandon the temple. You know, it didn't cross their mind that they should quit going to the place that was worshiping God and they should go build their own campuses somewhere else where everybody would have access to everything. No, in their mind, the temple was the place where the Most High God was worshiped. And so they decided they would keep going there. They decided that, that because of their love for Jesus... And because of the name of Jesus and because of the fame of Jesus, they would go into that first area and they would love the sick and help the poor. They would go into the next area and because of their love for Jesus, because of the name of Jesus, because of their desire for the fame of Jesus, they would go into that big, huge next area and they would tell people about this great news called the gospel. Don't miss that. They were going to church to evangelize. They were going so that people who knew about God would hear about Jesus. And I have to imagine that there were some that walked into that next part and they saw all of the sacrificing going on and they graciously began to communicate, you know what? We don't have to do this anymore. Jesus has paid The penalty of our sin. He sacrificed himself once for all. Can't you just imagine that conversation of brushing up next to somebody and saying, you know what? This has been done perfectly. This has been done completely. We don't need this anymore. We have Jesus. They went to church, they kept going to church. Because Jesus was alive. Matthew Westerholm says this, Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday morning. As the news spread, all of his friends spent that whole day telling each other the story and talking about what it all meant. They named it the Lord's Day. It was a thrilling way to spend the day, and so they decided to do it again the next week and every week ever since for 2,000 years. You see, better than a Tom Brady autograph jersey. The first church thought going to church was thrilling. So, how often is that your attitude about church? How often are you thrilled with church? Now, let me help you because you may be using a, a wrong definition for thrilled. If your definition of thrilled in church involves a suit and tie or involves shorts and skinny jeans. If your definition of thrilled in the church involves hellfire and brimstone preaching, or a guy in skinny jeans sitting on a stool having talking points on the stage. Or if your definition of of thrilled involves singing the old-time religion songs, or involves rocking out to the latest Christian anthems. If those are your definitions of thrilled, you have the wrong definitions see, the the early church had a whole nother picture of what it meant to be thrilled to worship Jesus. I've used these thoughts before. They always sound clear and fresh and in a good edge to me. Kevin DeYoung writes, find a good local church, get involved, become a member, stay there for the long haul, put away thoughts of revolution for a while, and join the plotting visionaries. Go to church this Sunday and worship there in spirit and truth. Be patient with your leaders. Rejoice when the gospel is faithfully proclaimed. Bear with those who hurt you and give people the benefit of the doubt. Quit keeping score. While you're there, sing like you mean it. Say hi to the teenager no one notices. Welcome the blue hairs and the nose ringed. Volunteer for the nursery once in a while. And yes, bring your fried chicken to the potluck like everyone else. Invite a friend to church. Take the new couple out for coffee. Give to the Christmas offering. Be thankful someone vacuumed the carpet. Enjoy the Sundays that click for you. Pray extra hard on the Sundays that don't. And do not despise the day of small things. I love that last part. Because you know what? Some Sundays don't click. Some Sundays, the sermon will be way below average, at least here. Some Sundays, it won't all be together. And on those Sundays, you you pray extra hard. But don't be confused. The first church had a definition of what it meant to be thrilled. They were thrilled to go to church. It was thrilling for them to go to church, not because of anything else, but one thing, and that was Jesus. Jesus. See, they were thrilled to go to church because they knew Jesus, and Jesus knew them. Sometimes I think we forget, though, the life that they lived in. You see, in the early church, these these first followers of Jesus, they faced a lot of rejection. You know what happens when you join the typical church in the South or maybe anywhere in the world? You know what happens? Everybody comes up and says, man... So glad to have you. And then you may go out to the restaurant and bump into some friends or or bump into some neighbors or some family, and they may hear, man, that's great, that's great, that's great. But in some places of the world, if you start following Jesus, you leave that gathering of believers, and the reality is your family may be the first person that comes after you to persecute you and possibly execute you. That's still a reality today. So these early Christians, they were rejected. They faced tons of tribulation. They faced a lot of persecution. But they always had this one thing to fall back on, the resurrection. Jesus was alive. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, these early followers of Jesus, they knew that spiritually they were dead corpses. They were spiritual zombies. They had no life. But then suddenly, they had this sweet aroma of salvation. They knew Jesus. What changed their sense of smell? Jesus was alive. I mean, really, this is stunning when you think about it in, in terms of everything in the world. Do you see this week there's a political leader in Africa who left for a few days, I think, or something like that, and, and when he came back on the plane, he goes, Yes, I was dead, you know, but I've I've come back to life again. See, we live in a world where people can claim anything. But the evidence behind Jesus being truly dead for days. And then being alive and being seen by hundreds of people, the evidence is overwhelming. You have to work hard to be an atheist, at least toward Jesus. Their hope was in this Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead, he robbed the grave, he came back from the dead. About 20 verses back in chapter 2, Peter was preaching the first Christian sermon. And this is what he said, Acts 2, 23. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed this man, this Jesus, to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Can you imagine how extremely cool this was to hear this first Christian sermon and that Peter says in the first Christian sermon, you know what? It was never possible that Jesus was going to stay dead. That was impossible. It was never going to happen. Death was a very real part of life. And here they were looking at death being conquered. So what does that have to do with your life? Well, if you have repented of your sin, if the gospel has captured your heart, if Jesus has rescued you, if the blood of the lamb has been applied to the penalty of your sin, then you need to know this. Death no longer is master over Jesus. And because death is no longer master over Jesus, if you are in Christ, Death is no longer master over you. If you're a Christian, let that sink in for a second. Death is no longer master over you. This is what Paul said to the church at Corinth. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Here's the thing. Death is real, and death has a sting. Sometimes we forget that part, maybe even when we read this verse. Camille Cates is a biblical counselor out west in a ministry connected to Washington State. She was a mom when she was 18 years old. Her one-year-old daughter died in her arms. After being brutally assaulted by her boyfriend. And this is what she writes Where was death sting? It was right there in my arms where life had only been seconds before. Death stings. Death stings. And death hurts. And death is hard. And death is devastating. But for a person who's in Christ, the sting of death will not and cannot last. It's there, but it it can't last. The sting of death cannot be master. This is how Paul continues his thought. In 1 Corinthians. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory. This is not temporary victory, this is permanent victory. This is not a Friday night win, this is not a state championship. This is not a conference title. This is not a national championship. This is not a World Series ring. This is not a Super Bowl trophy. All of those are nice, fun, exciting, temporary victories. But the victory that comes in Jesus Christ has no end. The victory that comes with Jesus Christ, it lasts forever. That's why it's so valuable. That's why Jesus is such a treasure. Camille Cates goes on. It doesn't matter whether you bury your aged parent or your newborn baby. A loved one's funeral is one of the darkest hours in this life. And she writes, that's when death's strong sting lands and lodges in your heart. That's when death seems to gloat. Have you been there? Are you there maybe this morning? Camille goes on. I love this. That's why 1 Corinthians 15, 55 is such a glorious passage. Before the beginning, the eternal God had a plan. His Son would be sent into the world to pay the penalty for our sins, snatching away death's victory and removing its sting. You know why the first church kept going to church? Because life was hard and life was difficult. But they kept going because they wanted to keep reminding each other that Jesus Christ had died to take away the measure of sting that comes with death over the life of a believer. And the one who's believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus, they will experience the sting of death, but then it must go away. It cannot stay. That's why they kept going to church. They wanted to keep reminding each other that death could only sting. But please note that Jesus in many ways at many times also said this, that for those who reject him, the sting of death will never go away. It will only get worse and more intense. So do not reject Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. What does all this have to do with why you should go to church? Gay Clark is a cardiac nurse in Augusta, Georgia. A few months ago, she wrote an article titled, When You Don't Want to Go to Church. Her husband had been dead for two years. And one Sunday morning, she was crying so much that she just decided she was not going to go to church. But then she remembered they were having communion that day. And I love her description. I put on a little concealer, a clean shirt, a whole lot of hairspray, and I went to church ten minutes late. (laughs) Been there before? (laughs) She got there, and kind of like life is getting at Holland Avenue, downstairs was packed and full. So she had to go up to the balcony. And when she got up to the balcony, she made this observation. I know most faces up here, a divorced man who would slip in late and leave early. Another who battled depression, an elderly couple in failing health. Here we all sat, the invisible church, broken beyond any human's ability to fix us. Ever sat in church feeling like that before? I have. Her husband had been an elder in their church, and, and now in this moment in the balcony, one of his friends and, and fellow elders was standing in front of her with a communion plate. And this is what she writes. Exactly how does this translate into grace? There's nothing special about saltines and grape juice until it's called communion, a glorious reminder of God with us. Communion reminds us that we are bound to Christ and He to us. That's why they kept going to church. They kept going to remind one another, God is, is with us. We are bound to Jesus. We are devoted to Jesus. We are committed to Jesus. But here's what's more stunning and amazing. Jesus is bound to us. He is devoted to us. He is committed to us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us, no matter how bad it gets. And death can only sting. It cannot master. That's why they went to church. They needed to see again and encourage one another. Hey, this Jesus is real. But what about the people that say, ah, church, what's the big deal? Hey, I can worship God anywhere, anytime. I don't need to go to church. What about those folks? Kelly Bean wrote a book that was published a couple of years ago, and the title goes like this. How to be a Christian without going to church, the unofficial guide to alternative forms of Christian How to be a Christian without having to go to church. And this was one of her observations. The effort it takes for overcommitted, overextended people to get to a 90-minute service or give time to programs and church events can be too much. Sometimes staying at home on a Sunday morning seems like the best way to remain sane. (laughs) I'm pretty sure most of us have been there on a Sunday or two, right? Man, I just can't do it. There's some truth to that. Pastor Gavin Ortland, he responds to her thought with this, though. I feel grieved and embarrassed wondering how Christians outside the contemporary West, Christians who walk a dozen miles to meet with their church, or who meet underground for a 10-hour service, how would they feel about the idea that sitting in an air-conditioned sanctuary for 90 minutes is just too difficult? I know, I just passed out tickets for a guilt trip. I get it, I know. But let's just stay on the trip just for a second. You see, our our church, Holland Avenue, we're a part of a denomination. We're in friendly cooperation with the denomination known as the Southern Baptist Convention. In recent years, there's been notes that say there's 16 million members in the Southern Baptist Convention. In other words, there's, there's 16 million people who claim membership in a Southern Baptist church. It's also been noticed, noted in recent years, though, that, that only 6 million of the 16 million regularly attend. So that's 10 million no-shows on a regular basis. So who cares? <laughs> What's the big deal? Look, people go to church, go to church, know my business, whatever, you know. Does it really matter? Matt Schmucker is a lay leader in his church in Washington, D.C., He gives four reasons why non-attenders hurt the church. Now, we're not talking about people who are sick. We're not talking about people who are serving in the military. We're talking about just good old casual, habitual, unnecessary, yeah, I'm not going to be plugged into the church. Here's four things that non-attenders do to the church. Non-attenders make evangelism a lot harder. You want me to come to your church? What's the name of your church? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my neighbor goes to your church. Never mind. I think I'll find somewhere else. Non-attenders also confuse new Christians. Well, I mean, Jimmy Ray, I mean, he never goes. I mean, I know I just joined, but I mean, he's been a member there for years, and he's always at the lake every weekend. Maybe it's okay for me to go to the lake every weekend. Maybe I don't have to go to the church, and dally doesn't seem to be what Christianity is about. The next two I'm going to put together. They discourage regular attenders, and they burden the pastor. They discourage regular attenders, people that love the church, that devote themselves to the church, that that plug their life into the church. And they they burden the pastors also because they don't have a love for the church, like those who are connected and faithful. In other words, it kind of goes like this. I think the church should honor my membership rights, so that I can get married in the church, so that I can have a reception in the church, so that I can get buried in the cemetery at the church, so that I can get visited in the hospital. My membership rights are more important than me caring about attending and giving and serving. Sadly, there are way too many churches like that in the Western world today. But I want you to know, I've got bigger dreams for our church. I dream different. I pray different. And I'm praying that God will keep doing what he has been doing for some time now. I'm praying that God would keep stirring in us a desire to really be people of the jersey. That we would not have identity theft when it comes to our jersey of faith. But that we would really be known as people that are on one team for Jesus and that we would be the kind of people that are meeting on a regular basis day after day, that we're encouraging each other, finding a way to help each other see the most thrilling thing in the universe is this. Jesus is alive. The most thrilling thing in the universe will never happen on a Saturday afternoon in a stadium. The most thrilling thing in the universe will not happen even in a birthing room at a hospital. The most thrilling thing in the universe is that Jesus died and came back to life. He is alive again today, and therefore death cannot have anything but a sting in our life. Friends, we gather to sing and pray and listen to God's word, not because we have to, but because we get to, and we get to because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Let that be what thrills our souls.